Welcome to The Dark Academicals, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sophie Waters. And I'm Sarah Purnell. In this episode, we're looking at Madam by Phoebe Wynne. The novel follows Rose Christie, a young, passionate educator who has just secured a position as head of classics at a prestigious all-girls boarding school, a place where tradition rules supreme. However, from day one, Rose can sense that something isn't right, and we follow her journey as she uncovers the horrific truth behind Cowdenbrae Hall's wide acclaim. Phoebe Wynne's Madam is a darkly oppressive, female-centric story, weaving compelling feminist interpretations of ancient Greek myths with a strong Gothic influence. It is a bold reimagining of the mad woman in the attic concept gifted to us by Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. I never made that connection. <laughs> I think they reference Jane Eyre at least twice. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, it's Is it Francis, I think? I think so. And Rose's apartment is literally like upstairs in a... Yeah, that's true. Sort of an attic space. Mm. I think we're going to introduce the novel um, and kind of give you a bit of a rundown because some of the terminology that's used in the novel is going to be a little bit confusing if you don't really know what the setup is. So we're going to go into that a little bit and then we'll start discussing the novel. But this is your big, huge, massive spoiler warning. Because this book has a lot of twists, a lot of turns, and a lot of big revelations. And we're about to ruin them all. (laughs) Basically. If you haven't read the book yet, this book is about to be ruined for you. So you have been warned. (laughs) Probably the biggest... The biggest plot twist, I think, yeah. about this book is that... I don't that... Even know if it's a plot twist. It's like, it's the revelation, <laughs> isn't it? It's the realisation. Yeah. yeah. I think because, okay, when we tell you this, if you have read it, you'll be like, yeah, yeah, we know what you're talking about. But if you haven't, when you get to this point and you don't know about it in the book, you kind of knew that it was, that that was what they were alluding to. But then it's all reveals itself and it's really quite horrible because it, yeah. of the depths it goes you don't you don't quite believe how dark and deep that it's willing to go and it goes there yeah it's it's very shocking in parts yeah essentially this school is grooming girls to be auctioned off as wives in a nutshell <laughs> yeah they are taught the things that their prospective husband wishes them to be taught they're taught manners and beauty and conversation yeah the the feminine arts yeah of the 1800s essentially bear in mind this is set in 1997 i think 1993 and yeah they basically kind of they're introduced to court at the end and they get selected by rich old white men in not not always old if you're lucky mostly <laughs> but mostly <laughs> i think only one of the girls says oh you're you've all got old codgers or something yeah they are they're mostly of that description <laughs> yes once they get to a point where they are essentially arranged there's been an arrangement between like the the girl's family and the buyer i don't know how else to what else to call it really the prospective owner of her 
That's um, essentially what it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think it's then that he can uh, ask for certain things, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Promises, like, they call them. Mm. So this is sometimes innocent things, like, well, as innocent as it can be, kind of saying, oh, I want her to learn classics. I want or, her to learn dance. Yeah, horse riding, archery, skiing. Yeah. <laughs> but although it's never really touched upon, I think there are some darker kind of requests that the girls don't ever really disclose Yeah. Um, or discuss, do they? But they're definitely hinted at there quite I a think, lot. I think it's fair to assume that anything goes. Yeah, yeah. For the right price. Yeah, definitely. They are. They're just paying. It's just, oh, it's it's so gross. And I, I remember the moment as I was reading and it suddenly clicked and I realised what they were doing. I was like, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be. So I carried on reading and like now I'd realised it, everything was falling into place and I, I was horrified. It's not an easy book to read. No. It's brilliant and it's wonderfully written. But it is so dark and it, it's difficult in a lot of places. It's not necessarily an enjoyable read all the time, but it's very compelling because even though most of these girls are honestly quite horrible, you do end up sympathising with them quite a lot. Mm. So another term that um, we might end up using a lot is value. Oh, yes. So that's essentially what the girls, that's how they kind of encompass it all they're working on their value mm -hmm. yeah and it it's it i think it works in different ways in the sense that it is literally they're working on how much they are worth to somebody but mm -hmm. it's also a sense of like their values as in like they're working on different uh i don't know what you call it you can't even call them classes but you do you know what i mean different attributes yes selling points basically yeah and lots of these like terms are used a lot by the girls before Rose knows what they actually mean. Is There's very much um, a language at Cowdenbrae that kind of keeps it all a, all a secret and keeps it all wrapped up in mystery. Yes. Um, but then once it clicks, that language behind it makes it even more horrifying, I think. Mm. I think it's very cleverly wrapped up in in a way that if somebody from outside overheard them talking about it, you could easily brush it off as it's just, oh, it's a very traditional place. You know, it 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 puts emphasis on values and, and yeah, but, hmm. <laughs> yeah. You only have to listen for, a, you know, a little bit more carefully and you'll start to go, hmm, there's something a little bit wrong here. But I mean, even the school, they don't call the school Cowdenbrae, they call it Hope. They do. And it's an institution. Yes. That's, that's what um, Vivian calls it, the deputy mm. head. So this isn't just a school, it's an institution. I think that applies in quite a lot of ways. Yes. <laughs> really, yeah. It's a very claustrophobic environment and the novel feels claustrophobic. Yeah. As usual, we're going to kind of break apart the novel and look at what makes it a Dark Academia title, if it is a Dark Academia title at all. As usual, the cornerstones of dark academia that we're going to look at are a higher education setting, old Gothic architecture, a preoccupation with classical studies, murder, a dark, moody and or haunting vibe, hero worship of a particular figure or author, 
old money, which will collide with new money or no money, whether as a literary device, and undeveloped social skills or the protagonist portrayed as an outsider. So, higher education setting. So, it's it's not a higher education setting, this one. No. But it's, you know, we, we rarely leave the school. <laughs> it's very yeah. much in that educational setting. It's... It's on campus. It's mm-hmm. they're not even allowed to leave. No. I mean, I mean, the teachers aren't even allowed to leave. <laughs> no, and it's got this reputation as this elite, kind of prestigious school, but no one really knows, you know, what makes it that other than its history. Yeah, and the I guess the the marriages and the matches and the girls <laughs> that it breeds really. Yeah, because there's definitely no um, academic success, really, because it's not mm. it's not pushed. Um, the girls do that, sit their GCSEs, they rarely sit A-levels. Because um, it's not needed, because they're married by that point. Exactly. Oh. And they have people in the right places to um, make sure that the school stays in the right standing. And there's even a point isn't there where i think rose grades one of the essays of the girls um we don't know what the grade is we don't know any of that information but like her that girl's head of house comes to rose and says you've given her a low mark what did you give her a low mark for rose is like well it was a bad essay she's like no we can't have that that's not acceptable that's not right because it's not about the academics they're they're there for show yeah it's it's a vehicle for producing producing wives essentially yeah and even though it's not a higher education setting i think there's this emphasis on studying more like considered highbrow uh subjects that people often don't pick up until mm-hmm. you hit university or higher education so yeah it's that elitist setting isn't it yeah and also i think that the topics focus on kind of old english values don't they yeah like harks back to kind of all of the things that a girl would learn in the mid-19th century those that were lucky enough to learn yeah you know it very much kind of emulates that even in their dress as well oh we haven't talked about the uniform yet have we because the uniform is horrific they're in these like brightly colored floaty dresses with bodices of all things and little, like, mm-hmm. shawl sweater things that they have to wear at all times. No taking it off. Yeah. The flashbacks to some strict classes at secondary school there. Yeah. Have to put your hand up to take your blazer off. And this is way worse. <laughs> and there are, like, little alterations to the, to the uniform, like, with each year group, aren't there? Yeah. That kind of defines it. I can't remember exactly what the the alterations are. But. I think the um, the upper sixth, they, or the sixth form, they wear brighter colours, don't they? So they've got... Oh, yeah. They're more... They can, exp- I suppose, express themselves in mm. uh, in the way they dress in different colours, in pastels and... Jewel tones. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even the uniform is, is uh, created with, like, the um male gaze in mind because mm-hmm. i mean the way one of the history i think he's a history teacher the older chap who's like leering on 14 year old um, um yeah. 
I can't remember which girl it was. Is it Daisy? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And because obviously she's growing and she's growing into a woman, her mm-hmm. she doesn't quite fit her like younger uniform anymore and he's convinced that she must be older which he's actually hoping that he gets that he gets the chance to see her at the class that is called worship Hmm. um where the girls learn how to service their men i think by uh, the practicing (laughs) on their own teachers i think that the word was uh preparing for coupling or something That's, like that. Something yeah. disgusting like that. I think that uniform's also containment, isn't it? Yeah. It's very restrictive. It's, you can't you can't run in that kind of outfit. You can't slouch. You're very your body is held in a specific way by that outfit, isn't it? Yeah. It's that extended kind of control. So, definitely has the right kind of setting, I think, for a dark academia book. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the old gothic architecture of the school comes into that as well. Yeah. Because it is, it's an old, and they call it a castle, don't they? Yeah, it was, it's, it, it was built in the baronial style, whatever that means. I'm not an architect. (laughs) (laughs) But there is Um, this great quote, and it's called, the great monster of the school building, as if at any moment it might hoist itself up on its hind legs and unfurl, with thick turrets, black scales down its back, and crawl heavily into the waters below. That's such a brilliant description. It is. It's so visceral. I love it. I think, as well, what's interesting is for... I mean, the the, the building itself is quite oppressive, like, mm-hmm. but that old structure is also what aids its downfall so when it burns to the ground it's because it's old that it can do that and i think that it's a great metaphor for the antiquated systems that are being pushed at the school Mm -hmm. they're so fragile they're so easy to burn to the ground and yet (laughs) either they still stand or when they do get burnt to the ground they rise up yet again (laughs) thank you for coming to my ted talk (laughs) That's such a good point, though, because all through the novel, it's there's so much pushback at Rose's of, you know, you won't topple us, you won't defeat this because, you know, we've got so many people in the right places. You've got so many big names and powerful names and lots of money that will kind of destroy anyone who tries to take it down. Yet all it took was one of the girls lighting a fire in the headmaster's office to bring it all to the ground. There's just so many good uh, symbolic uh, moments and like uh, chances to interpret metaphor because, mm-hmm. you know, when someone says that, you know, they, they, they've, you want to light a fire in someone. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that, and I know what you mean. <laughs> I think that also ties back to kind of the way that, classics and mythology kind of hold through the novel yeah because obviously like the basic thing is that you know rose is a classics teacher she's the head of classics but it is these women of mythology that inspire the girls yeah they are the ones that light the fire they are the women and goddesses that were oppressed by 
everyone and everything and yet they still found some kind of way to stand up for themselves they found some way to advocate for themselves even if it didn't you know end in them kind of getting their freedom they still they caused the ruckus you know that's true and i suppose also in jane eyre who was it who started a fire oh yeah that's true i thought it was interesting how there were like the direct stories of some of the women throughout and these stories kind of reflected not only rose's state of mind and rose's frustration but also kind of almost um foreshadowed what was to come in that next little section yeah so we had daphne we had medea we had uh, medusa io or eo yeah there are a lot our next kind of point of dark academia that we measure things against is murder and there isn't any murder in this one or is there well hmm, that is a good point because i just wrote death <laughs> yeah but there's plenty of death but on on rose's part there's not any necessarily willful or complicit murder no so usually it's the main character in a dark academia book that mm-hmm. is involved in murder and i suppose you could argue that she was involved in murder but she didn't it wasn't like she could have done anything like the girls set no. a fire um and it burned the place down and trapped was it hundreds of people inside 300 and, they, and something wasn't it yeah um but there was nothing that she could have done no. she didn't she couldn't there was no alarm to raise she couldn't have gotten any more people out than she did no. and she didn't start it so but i guess the girls technically murdered all of those people it wasn't deliberate it wasn't their intention but they did cause their deaths yeah and i guess i know she is technically alive but the school's treatment of jane they essentially kind of left her an empty shell didn't they yeah we don't really ever find out what they did to her nothing great no (laughs) (laughs) or whether it's just the environment that sent her mad but she did lose herself yeah as a result of that school and and bethany Bethany, yeah also Mm. committed suicide as a result of you know this school and the oppressions of it so with all that death i mean i think it's safe to say that there's a a dark moody an unhaunting vibe there yes i mean i i wrote that it give it's giving me very uh only ever yours ickiness in that dark vibe so um if you don't know only ever yours i suggest that you go and read it um with caution I think you have to be in the right mood and the right frame of mind for that. It's by Louise O'Neill. And I think it won the YA Book Prize. I think it won the first ever YA Book Prize. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah do check, check the trigger warnings for that one because it is intense. Yeah. Um, but similar kind of... Um, I, think, I think haunting fits books like this and books like Only Ever Yours in the sense that after you've read it... Mm-hmm. Not necessarily during, but afterwards. I think it's quite haunting. Oh, definitely. 
I think especially when you kind of reflect on how, even though this feels like an exaggerated version of society or the treatment of women, there's a lot of it that isn't that exaggerated. Yeah. And I think that slowly kind of builds and that is haunting. I think there's also just that, um, just an oppressive sense of being trapped in the Mm. immediate situation. But, you know, like we've said in a more wider terms of society, like of women being trapped. Um, And I think that follows you throughout the book. Yeah. And I think the weather plays a huge part in that as well. Yes, the weather. (laughs) (laughs) We love the weather. It's, you know, it's set up in an isolated um, part of Scotland. It's an island, isn't it? Is it an island? It's a peninsula. A peninsula, okay. It juts out a bit. Um, Yeah, so it's very exposed. Yeah, it's like perched right on on the edge of the North Sea. So the weather is just horrendous Mm. a good 90% of the time. (laughs) Yeah, and it's there's not a single nice day weather-wise in that year she's there. It's perpetually grey and windy and rainy and cold and violent. Yeah. It's a very violent surrounding, you know. There's a big, huge storm that kind of cuts off the school for a while. It's It's inhospitable. And it's kind of like that opening scene to to a movie when you see this big dark house at the back of like a storm blowing down you're like bad shit's gonna go down here (laughs) it's that kind of um kind of set up i mean not only can no one literally leave the grounds but when the weather's that horrendous like nobody wants to leave the building either so it's kind of like putting a lid on a saucepan mm. that's boiling. Hero worship of a particular figure or author. And this is one that I struggled with. Um, in terms of Rose. Um, because it's not. I don't think it's as obvious for Rose. The only figure I could pick out was Athena. Okay. For her. That's interesting. Um, because I think for her it's more of an admiration for... Um, female figures in Greek mythology generally. Oh, definitely, yeah. Their strength um, and their resilience, and yeah. But I think I picked out Athena because of the. She does mention Athena or Athene a lot, and then she's got the little owl figure, as well. Oh, that's true, yeah. Um, but other than that, I struggled for her to for for there to be like a particular hero worship. Yeah, most of it I focused on like the girls. Yeah, because for most of the novel. It seems to be Clarissa. Yeah. The girl um, from the upper stick. Who, she is basically the epitome of what Caldenbray teaches as feminine perfection. Yeah. She's head girl. She's beautiful. She's always perfectly, immaculately dressed. She's accomplished. She's, you know, she's made a wonderful map. But eventually um, the girl's idolatry kind of moves to Rose in a way. Yeah. As she breaks through with them, she kind of goes, you know, through using these mythological women. And I think there's even one point where one... Is it Freddie that says she wants to be like... Or she was, you know, she set the fire because she was trying to be like someone. Um, It was like Dido. 
Dido. I think that was yep. that was who they were idolizing. So we're just like Dido in your stories, madam, wasn't it? Something like yep. that. Something yeah. like that. Yep. So it's it's not as clear cut and obvious in this novel, I don't think, but it's definitely there, and it's kind of it's a lot more subtle and a lot yeah. more complicated. Yeah, it's not like um, it's not as an obvious obsession mm. as it is in, say, like um, like the secret history. Obviously, yeah. Like, they almost kind of they find these idols because they need them. Yeah. They learn to take what they need from these figures in order to get themselves out. Yeah. Whereas in both Secret History and If We Were Villains, it's the idolatry of figures or subjects that causes the downfall. Yeah. And the tragedy, I think. I think it does. And when you think about it, um, those two books that we have previously uh, discussed in other episodes are... Um, centered around like male protagonists mm-hmm. and they seem to be chasing something whereas in Madam it's very female focused and they seem to be more running away yeah so I think that makes absolutely. sense so that very um, feminist kind of idea of um, women helping other women isn't it holding each other yeah. up something that something we're going to talk about a little bit later on in more depth is the feminism in the novel uh, so we've also got old money to talk about that is a huge part of this book yeah but in a really different way to the others yeah i think so because pretty much everyone at the school has no assets of their own Mm -hmm. yeah um even though they might come from rich families they literally don't have anything even if i think even rose questions towards the end if the girls even have their own bank accounts yeah and there's also at the very end where, um, you know, the girls are free and living their own lives outside of Cowdenbrae. Is it Freddie who can't get away from her dad? Yes. Cause he's like, no, you can't do this. You have to, you have these three options of things you want to do. And she's 25 at this point. But yeah. she has, she doesn't, she was deprived of that education that would give her that freedom. She doesn't have any skills to do a job to give her freedom she's still trapped yeah because she doesn't have anything of her own and there's a whole lot of looking down on the working classes there is and i think it's also interesting that anthony even though he admits himself that he came through an orphanage education system you know he's from the midlands he um yeah grew up in an orphanage obviously doesn't come from money and yet because Mm. he's male seems to slot in Doesn't really matter, well does it yeah. no exactly whereas for rose she's come from a fairly comfortable background it would seem her mother was yeah. a second wave feminist her father was a lecturer at universities but it's not enough no she had to work for money which immediately puts her at a disadvantage yeah. doesn't it and she's unmarried as well. So she doesn't have any, you know, marital money or status to rely on in that way either. It's a really weird system because the teachers that we actually get to know, really, none of them seem to be from the upper classes. 
No, I think well, I think because a lot of the the female teachers were old students at Caldenbrae, so they're essentially they oh, are discarded girls that their families were couldn't marry off to someone worthwhile. Yeah, and yeah, so they're almost true. they're almost shamed into staying where they are mm. because at least at least they then can that you know their families can say I assume you know that's they either ignore that they exist or they can say that they're kind of helping the cause by yeah. jivvying yeah. along more young women to be sold off to old mm. men. Yeah. They're doing their duty as a woman. Yes. They can't raise their own children. They'll raise others. Yes. Although, is it Emma who has children and a husband? Yes, she does. And they're just, you know... Kids are shipped off to boarding school. Husband does whatever he does and she lives at the school full time. Yeah. Because because these teachers don't have these assets, they are trapped by the benefits of working for Cowdenbray. Yeah. Benefits in... Um, quote marks, quote, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. These, these benefits of grooming young girls are, you know, being trapped on a, an isolated peninsula while your children are shoved into a boarding school and your mother is put in a top-rate um, care home, but actually she's just there for leverage in case you step out of line. Yeah. As is the case with Rose, which... Horrifying. <laughs> yeah, her mother is used as leverage. Her um, father, who has passed away is used as leverage because of the circumstances mm. of his death they yeah. build a dossier against her based on bullshit just to mm. use it against her because they say you know you'll you'll never work in teaching again if you leave here because of this this and this and yeah because of that connect that um like web of connections yeah that they have in people in power i think that kind of goes on nicely sir protagonist being portrayed as an outsider yeah <laughs> because she is an outsider in every way yeah it's the main vein of the story that yeah. she is the outsider i mean it starts fairly kind of standard she's an outsider because she's new and she's young and that's fine you are an outsider when you start a new job yeah and when you're the youngest but it's also because she doesn't know the secret of Caldenbray. Yeah. She is kept in the dark by students, by other teachers, by everybody. But even when she does know, she's still an outsider because she's the only one fighting it. Yeah. And she doesn't want to be. Whereas before she knows the secret, she's a little bit unsure about what's going on, but she still wants to be accepted because it will make her life easier. Yeah. But then as soon as she knows, she wants none of it. <laughs> yeah. She's, thankfully, she's happy to be on the outside of this horror. She, and then she stays an outsider though. She, even after leaving, she has no choice but to remain an outsider because essentially she faked her death. She did, yeah. So she is forced to live in Italy. Not, for, I say that like it's ter a terrible tragedy. thing. Living but in Rome, she awful. <laughs> <laughs> but she's stuck there. Again, she has her freedom, but it only goes so far because if mm. they find out, 
Yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, that's true. But um, so she, yeah, she's definitely an outsider. The other part of that um, bullet point, the undeveloped social skills, I don't think applies to her. No, definitely not. I think she very easily um, makes connections. I was going to say make friends, but that's not true. But quite They're easily really relates to people and <laughs> yeah. is happy to approach people and isn't really socially awkward. Whereas a lot of the situations she was in, I would be like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I definitely would not have lasted a day. No. <laughs> I think that's that's the thing that put me off of teaching, really. Having to stand in front of 30 kids. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so as the secret history is kind of our benchmark of what makes a dark academia novel, we are going to do a little mini comparison to the secret history even though on the surface there's not really any comparisons but we've already accidentally made comparisons as we go because the secret history isn't just a book you know it gets in your it's brain it's a lifestyle <laughs> exactly <laughs> i think one of the interesting things that i noticed and this is something that i noticed like off the bat is where it's that similar thing of building up to the ending, the ending, you know, this big dramatic finale. You get a flash of in the prologue and you're working towards that. Yeah. But it's very much a traditional mystery setup. We don't know what happened. We don't know who happened. We don't <laughs> we don't know yeah. any of the details. It's a traditional mystery where as the secret history is a why story. Yeah. But there is also a lot of that that why did it end in flames? But it's also I think it had to end like that in Madam. I don't think there was another way out for any of them. No. There was no other way that Rose was gonna be able to walk away from there. All the girls. All the girls. Whereas and it, it is an inevitability, whereas the secret history, that it was the choices that they made that led them to them kind of screwing themselves over. Yeah. And I think it is that difference of position. It is that male-female binary there, isn't it? Yeah. Because the male characters of Dark Academia have the agency and the control and the assets to dictate their life, even if they do so in a very bad way. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the tragedy for the female characters has to be brought on by them deliberately to grant them their freedom. Yeah, it, it's that um, duality, isn't it? Whereas, mm. like, for the male characters, um, they are very action-led even if it's not a very um lively story or lively narrative they're they're driving forward with this kind of action whereas for the female uh characters and protagonists they seem to be more reactionary yeah well they're being strung along aren't they especially rose with like the drip feeding of the information the letters the the taunting of, you know, what's going to happen if she doesn't step into line. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, 
Henry wouldn't take that, would he? No. <laughs> Henry would kill them all, honestly. <laughs> Whereas Rose still has to kind of measure her morals against her own survival. Uh, the secret history is even mentioned on the front cover. It's another... Is it? It's another one that's on the front cover, mm. yeah. It says, Rebecca meets the secret history, gloriously dark, gloriously gothic. Rebecca um, is an interesting comparison. I've not read Rebecca. Oh, I know of, need to read Rebecca. I know of the story, but I haven't I haven't read it. You'd love it, though. It is brilliant. But I, I, I think in this case, whereas with uh, villains, it was almost to its detriment that it had the secret history on the front cover mm-hmm. i don't think it does madam any harm no i think it's a good way of drawing people in and kind of opening up that discussion of dark academia from a female-centric narrative yeah it opens up that space for different discussions because there are lots of topics tackled that's quite difficult to say in madam that are criticisms of villains and secret history as male narratives yes so one of those big ones for me is the feminism i mean straight off the bat as you said rose's mum was a second wave feminist you know active campaigning and protesting and she was involved in in the movement and that whether you want that to um, kind of influence you or not, it's going to shape the way that you view the world. Yeah. And I think at the beginning of... Um, Madam, it's it's not so much there. It's, you know, it's vaguely a part of Rose. But it's not, um, like, her driving force. Mm. Until... She finds out how drastically the rights of these girls are being eroded and abused. Yeah. And that is when her feminism comes in. So she's fighting for these girls to have basic human rights and not to be treated as a meat market, not to be treated as if they lived in 1840. But she's not a feminist in an everyday sense, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I did a lot of um, trawling through discussions and reviews of Madam, and there seems to be a common criticism that the feminism is almost too basic, um, that we've moved on from simple expl- explanations of equality and consent, and that sh- it should be more detailed than you know, women are human beings too. But I. I don't agree at all. No, because that's what's under threat in this novel is is these women's lives and their own agency. Yeah. I think think the argument is coming from a place of have we not moved on from um uh trying to showcase that in literature, in like modern literature, like mm-hmm. have we not moved on? But I think, you know, I, I messaged you the other day, didn't yeah. I? And I was like, um, you know, escalating violence and aggression towards women kind of shows that, no, we haven't really moved on from that. Like, maybe on a surface level, a lot of people are now more accepting of equality and feminism. 
um but it it is it's barely skin deep i think yeah it doesn't kind of permeate society i mean we we still live in a society that punishes women for working for having children for not having children in pay the gender pay gap is still such a huge issue in the opportunities available to women especially older women and the social expectations of what being a woman is yeah you know the expectation to be kind and quiet and accepting is still very much there it's true and i think also if we're still living in a society where you can't walk home at night without fear of getting offed then exactly we still probably need to be having a conversation about basic women's rights rights. yeah yeah (laughs) exactly i think it's a similar attitude towards um lgbtqia plus representation in the novel yeah because there is representation but in the way of a demonstration of the oppression rather than yeah i mean i think a clear representation if that makes sense yeah i mean i'm glad that it was included it very could have easily not been um Mm -hmm. but i think i'm just i'm just i just wonder about this seemingly dark academia trend to set a book in the 90s so that it's close enough to us to be relevant and modern but it's in a convenient time period that maybe you can just brush over certain subjects and be like it's here look shh, look, 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 look shh, but not too close shh, no not too close it's fine it's there do you know what i mean yeah. like you can it's still a bit tokenized almost. yes or it's almost like because i don't have it... to go in on it too hard but i can i can mention it but i can get away with saying oh it was the 90s to not have to have it explicitly demonstrated mm-hmm it would have been a much more powerful move, I think, to have Francis as, you know, this girl who was punished and who lost her match and who lost, you know, her position at Caldenbray because of a relationship with another girl, to have her fighting against it in her own private, even if she can't do it publicly, to privately own yeah, her identity in that way. I think that would have been an incredibly powerful move. Yeah. Because there were bits early on, I thought maybe that's where that was heading. But it just kind of... It didn't get brushed under the carpet. It got um, kind of flipped over into, you know, I'm a disgusting person. Yeah. I'm trapped here for a reason because it's wrong, because it's unnatural. Yeah. And, you know, people do feel that way. That That is a thing. But I think it would have been a much more powerful and it would have been a more powerful statement for Phoebe Wynn to make in this novel. I think so. I think there are a lot of missed opportunities with queer representation. Yeah, definitely. Especially when it's... It is... It's touched on and it's there's so much promise there. It could have been developed a lot into... I don't know, almost a kind of 
shout out to the queer community and kind of like if you are in this position of oppression or you can't be yourself you know you don't have to give up hope on this you can still be proud in a private way and then when you have the room and the safety to fully be yourself then it's waiting for you kind of thing yeah and I think that could have been done without you know affecting Francis's role like her her role in the plot I don't I don't think it would have derailed anything at all no I agree another thing that I felt was slightly tokenized was um the presence of people of color in the novel or lack thereof yeah because the only um mentions are a group of Asian girls that's that's all we get there are a group of Asian girls that sit on their own table, segregated, and the word segregated is used. Yeah. They're in, in, their, the, own, in, they're in their own house, aren't they? They have, um, it's called House C. And yeah. They're, I think they're all Japanese. They are. We girls, later find they? out they're Japanese, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, their exclusion is mentioned briefly by Rose and... It's commented on vaguely, but it's not explored. It's not It's not taken apart in the way that it could have been. No, I think the issue with the, the Japanese uh, students for me is that um, you could have easily taken them out completely from the book and it wouldn't have impacted mm-hmm. on the overall effect at all. So that made me question why were they there in the first place? And if it if it was just for shock value, then it wasn't necessary. But also, why were they just not a part of the story in a more concrete role? Yeah. Because there's this um, kind of the aim of the school is to kind of draw other countries and other cultures into Calden Bray as to kind of like broaden their reach. Yeah. So it would make sense for them to be a part of the novel, to be in the class, to be part of the group. I thought it was mm. a very odd choice. Yeah. And I really, really did not like it when the Japanese students were dressed up as geishas. Yeah. I mean, that's a very to... niche thing for that group of girls to know how to do in the first place. It's a very specific cultural and very kind of sacred and protected Japanese art. Yeah. But in the novel, it's taken apart as a, they're dressed up as geishas and they serve. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand the need for that. And I don't, I don't agree with that being. I can, I can, I can understand, I think, the idea of having the students from different countries involved because it would be a bit like from a business point of view I want to pull in all the strongest business partners I have Mm -hmm. yeah but I don't know why there wouldn't have been different international students or why Japan was singled out specifically like I don't know if there was something um like to do with the economy at at that point in the 90s or something like I don't I don't know politically Mm. enough about that time period if that was would have been why like Japan would have been 
chosen. I know they were a strong economy, but um, to make it, I, I just can't make it make sense. Whereas you've already yeah, got I know what you mean. people there who are looking for wives from countries like Germany and Russia and France. I assume that's why they're learning all those languages. Then why mm-hmm. don't they also have international students yeah. from there? Yeah, definitely. It's a odd choice. And I did not it didn't sit right with me, to be honest. I was oh, gonna talk about the owl briefly again. The owl. <laughs> the owl. <laughs> I just thought that the owl was a really interesting symbol throughout and I just kept I think especially because this was a reread for me, I kept noticing it again. <laughs> so I just wondered if the owl, I suppose it does tie into character discussions. So, you know, the owl is intrinsic to how Rose is feeling, not necessarily feeling, but like her state of mind. Yeah. I felt like, and how the owl gets moved. And then when it's finally broken, um, she mentioned something about how her owl has now flown out across the sea or Mm. something. I'm not sure, but, um, I just thought it was very also fitting that it represents Athena, who is the goddess of war and wisdom, which is essentially yeah. Rose's role at um, Calvin Bray. So. Yeah, that's true. And I think where that point is, where the owl is broken, is it it's Francis who breaks the owl, isn't it? Or was mm. it one of the girls who was It's either Francis or, or it's Clarissa, and I can't, I think I it's one of those two. One. But that's the point where she's kind of, she's learned everything and she is spiralling. Yeah. Like her strength is broken by, you know, constantly fighting and the threat on her, you know, her mum, her dad's reputation, her own life in some way is at, is under threat from this. And it's kind of that, that breaking point for her. Yeah. That is interesting. But yeah, Rose Christie. Mm-hmm. 26 um, somewhere around there and is a newly appointed head of department for classics I mean what a position <laughs> I know for a 26 year old yeah but that's also why you know she can't say no to this job because it's exactly it's too impressive um, I've seen repeated comments um, again, whilst I've been trawling through reviews and discussions of Rose being called hysterical, which I think is Ooh. a really interesting description um, to apply to her for this book, don't you In think? In a feminist novel, <laughs> calling someone hysterical is like slapping someone in the face. <laughs> I think that her reactions are proportionate to what she is experiencing. I think so. I, mean, I think if I found out that I was involved in grooming young girls for marriage, I would also scream and shout and cry at the people who are enabling this and try to stop it. Well, I hope I would. <laughs> I think... Uh, That's not hysterical. I. I think she could have played the game better. I think... Oh, yeah, she has zero sense of self-preservation whatsoever. <laughs> no, I think once I kind of got a hint of it all going going a bit south and uh, 
you know, my they're th- threatening my mother, they're threatening my career. I potentially would be a little bit more uh, subtle about how I expressed myself or expressed my uh, upset. Mm. Um, but, you know, she's from what they like to call a very liberal background. Um, and I think you can understand kind of her inability to accept what she's seeing yeah but also her mental state at the time you know she's had nine months of being broken down and bullied and emotionally and mentally attacked and she has to come to terms with the fact that you know for the last however you know six months of the school year or whatever she was a part of this institution of this creation of these girls so even though i think rose was kind of proportionate in her reactions i do think she was quite naive as well yeah that she could the thought that you know she could topple this yeah so this kind of plays into like this kind of plays into the role of like the mythological women i think because you know they still fight even in fights they know they can't win and fights that they're probably going to end badly but they have to do it because it's right yeah so it is naive but it's also there's also strength in that i think yeah i i wouldn't of... i wouldn't have been able to do that i would have 100% i'm not saying i would have just bowed my head and got on with it but i wouldn't have been able to be as outspoken as she was no, I, I like to think I would have been a bit more subtle, maybe. Yes. But at the but... same time, is subtlety ever going to win against something like that? No. It literally then, took arson. I suppose, <laughs> yeah, I suppose backed into a corner, who's telling what anyone might do? Very true. Is that not like <laughs> the basis of dark academia, isn't it? <laughs> Back yes. someone into a corner, see what they'll do. Yeah. Essentially. And I think that's definitely the same for Freddie, who's one of the, the main girls that tortures Rose for most of the year. Yeah. And then ends up actually, she is the one that sets the fire, isn't she? Hmm. I'm not sure if it's her or if it was um, Nessa or Daisy. But it... Okay, but it's, it's those three as a group. Yeah. I think oh, the Furies. Are they the Furies? Maybe. Ooh. <laughs> He's like <"Pew." laughs> Yeah. I I I think it's interesting that they have nicknames. I think it's one of the only places that they have any kind of autonomy over their own self. Yeah. That's true. I mean the house mistresses don't don't like their nicknames and i think even clarissa doesn't she she has she often Mm. says you know don't call her that but it's one of the only places where amongst themselves they can have like a sense of ownership over their own self yeah because i mean even the teachers are unsurprisingly considering the title is madam they're all called madam and all of the male teachers are sir there's no differentiation between them is there no and then with the girls it's it's not even just those three, is it? It's other, like there's Lex, yeah, Nessa, um, Freddie. I think um, 
I think Freddie plays the game a lot better, but then she's been living in it for years. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think you'd necessarily like peg her as one of the ones who would incite like others into action. I think because of how she gives uh, Rose such a hard time, you kind of get the feeling that she's always on on the fence, uh, but could very easily go either way with Freddie. Yeah, it's almost like she knows the consequences of both choices and she, you know, she has to kind of decide what way she falls. Yeah. I think without her, though, I'm not sure that the other girls would have the courage to do what they did. No, she's very much the ringleader, isn't she? Other than Clarissa, she's probably kind of the main, um, like, idol for the girls, isn't she? Yeah. They they very much follow her lead. And when she tells them to shut up, they generally do. Yeah. And she's one of the only girls that we see actually stand up for others. Um, yeah. That's true. And that really doesn't happen very often, even no. with Freddie, does it? <laughs> no. They are so cruel to each other. She's definitely an interesting character. I think it would have been quite interesting to see it the novel from Freddie's perspective. Yeah, but it is interesting. I think it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting that in Madam we see the perspective from the teacher, whereas before we've looked at it from the student. Well, that's true. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, because I guess we're, we're almost distanced from, like, what's physically going on in a school because she's a teacher and because she doesn't, she's new. Yeah. In that way, we're not in the th- thick of it. And she is the person that is being um, looked up to, rather than the person looking, looking up, up to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a really th- strange, <laughs> strange wording there. So really, uh, we kind of have to ask ourselves is madam dark academia i think it is yeah absolutely i think so too it has so many of the hallmarks of dark academia i think it also has a hefty dose of gothic and the female gothic as well yes i think it's definitely it's not purely dark academia there's definitely gothic dark academia there and it is also a mystery which most dark academia novels are but i think it's more prominent in this yes it's definitely less uh cerebral than uh villains Mm. or secret history i think not in a bad way but in in i think i think madam is probably um it's accessible yeah because the 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 way that you know classic studies and these myths and these goddesses their their relevance is clearly explained and clearly outlined you don't have to go in knowing you know Medea's backstory you don't have to go in knowing who Dido is no because it's it's there for you on the page and there's also not random greek or latin there is a little bit of latin but you it's very clear kind of what it means yeah they don't they don't like converse in latin <laughs> no it's, it's it's not pushing the reader as an outsider 
you are very much there with Rose and learning as Rose goes. You're not being yes. held at a distance, which is very different to um, villains and a secret history. Yeah, I think as a as a narrator, well, I mean, it's not, it's um, it's, oh, um omniscient third, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it's a lot more reliable. I mean, obviously, it's mm. more reliable from the point of view that it's third person, but it's um it's more reliable as a narrator than previously yeah definitely i agree with that final thoughts on madam i like it <laughs> i really like it too i, I think do. it's, it's and really brilliantly written yeah i mean i i i will often say and you've heard me say many times that i'm not one for rereading books but i quite happily reread this mm. Without an issue. Yeah, I think it's so. it's not an easy read. And I think if you are going to read it and you have somehow gotten to the end of this podcast episode without having read it, it is now spoiled for you. But <laughs> if you were going to go and read it, please check the trigger warnings because it's it's extraordinarily dark. Yes. And it's not, and, it's not an easy read. And we haven't given away all the bombshells. There are some... No real shocking moments that we haven't really touched upon but yeah if you read it you'll find them <laughs> yeah and even if you you know even the stuff that we have given away the impact of those reveals and those moments is something that you don't want to miss because they are shocking the language that came out when messaging sarah <laughs> about some of these reveals <laughs> it's it's a lot it was a fun journey experiencing you experiencing madam <laughs> at the same time <laughs> just all first caps time. worship yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd be like what is <laughs> is a brilliant novel i do highly recommend it so next time we will be moving on to something a little bit different so our intention is once every season we're going to tackle a novel that we see as dark academia adjacent and our first um pick for this is going to be the great gatsby by f scott fitzgerald the summary is as follows and actually let me just say this it was so difficult to find a summary for Gatsby because it's so well known and so there's so many editions that often it's just listed as the great Gatsby you know the one like Like, I've read this book maybe twice I think but I don't know if I could summarize it well I found I found a nice concise one thank you perfect not sponsored yet (laughs) sadly um Jay Gatsby is the man who has everything but one thing will always be out of his reach. Everybody who is anybody is seen at his glittering parties. Day and night, his Long Island mansion buzzes with the bright young things, drinking, dancing and debating his mysterious character. For Gatsby, young, handsome and fabulously rich, always seems alone in the crowd, watching and waiting, though no one knows what for. Beneath the shimmering surface of his life, he is hiding a secret. A silent longing that can never be fulfilled. And soon, this destructive obsession will force his world to unravel. We hope you've enjoyed our episode on Madam by Phoebe Wynn. And we hope you'll join us next time. Bye. Bye.